Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Those Aren't Pillows, a podcast celebrating everything funny in film. I hope you are very well, and thank you as ever to everyone that's listened and subscribed, followed, reviewed, etc., etc., the podcast so far. It really does mean a lot and helps us get noticed in the algorithmic fields that you need to know. Brand new episode for you, two more comedy films for you, two classics. And I'm delighted to say I have another special guest. Uh, and this is a man that I used to do this kind of thing with on a weekly basis back in the day. I haven't done it for a while. So uh, it's lovely to have him on this podcast. He is the one and only Mr. Luke Owen. How are you, sir? I'm very, very well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you. Yes, it's been a while since we've done these something like this. Been a while. Yeah. I was trying to think of this this morning, actually. I nearly asked my wife about it, like, because I'm, it can't be when we did the London Film Festival. You know, like when we like we did the whole time together and we were like there every single day. It was one my oh, wife yeah. was working at, yeah. But that can't have been the last time we did a podcast together. But it must have been around that sort of time, right? It must have been, yeah, because that year was the year we saw, that was the Whiplash year, wasn't it? And we came out it straight was, afterwards yeah. and we were so sh- shaken by the end of Whiplash that we had to quickly jump on your... Uh, get your iPad out and record something in outside the Prince Charles yeah. cinema. That's it. You were just sat on the steps outside the Prince Charles, yeah. and, like, recording things on my like on the iPad on Garage Bands. Like they're yes. only like, recording fifteen-minute chunks. <laughs> so what was that? Was like two thousand and I want to say two thousand and fourteen, fifteen. I want to say it's like 2014, 15. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So I, I think it's going to at least a good five years since you and I've done a podcast together. Yeah, strange. I remember actually. Now you said that. I remember one, and this is a this is a, a sad memory, but a good memory. I remember uh, the day Robin Williams died. You texted me in the morning, and you were like, "You got a free hour later because I'm in town. We need to say something." We sat there for like an hour, didn't we? Getting we did, yeah. Been, uh, outside, God, I think I in a sim- similar area. It must have been in Leicester Square. That was 2014 that he died. So it must be around must- that time. Yeah, it must be. God, I'd forgotten all about that, but you're right. Yeah, we did. We it. just basically just sat there and just talked about like our favourite Robin Williams like movies and moments. Yeah, I don't think there's been many many moments with people. Obviously, lots of you know in our in our ways and means. There's past that mean to us, but there's not been many like him. That's why it, it kind of thinged my brain because I remember us sitting there again, getting upset, upset, but getting very reminiscent about things and getting very. Mm. An emotional hour but that was must have been around the site because he died i think in the around about the summertime so it must have been at that and then we went into lff so it must have been around that time that we were in your mm. podcast god that was a long that was a long couple of weeks that lff like that a long long couple of weeks because like you and i would we would watch like a group of movies together and then go and sit on those benches that mm. were just outside and go and record like for an hour or so and then i'd basically edit that on the way home like while i was on the tube home send it the podcast together so i could get it out that day yeah, my my London Film Festivals are much different now. <laughs> They're much different now. I, I stand out in the cold for twelve days in a row with with my friend, with my cameraman Colin doing the red carpets, which we missed last year. Yeah, obviously yeah. missed. Just it's just weird how to go from watching, trying to squeeze in the movies, and then doing the premieres, and then on your side you have all your wrestle talk stuff you do uh, every other day kind of stuff, and then you do bits in between. So it's like a it's it's crazy how times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, times have certainly changed indeed. <laughs> they have indeed. And times have changed since 
the two films we're going to talk about today. We're taking a, as me and Luca are around the same age, we're taking a little nostalgic trip back to the 1980s. Uh, when there were so many comedy favourites of mine and Luke's and many of people that have come on the podcast have always, always 80s is kind of the big hub, isn't it? It's the it's the the golden years, if you like, for, for comedies. And so many of our, obviously because we're born in the 80s, so many of our favourites are from that decade. So we've picked two, one of which I've been meaning to get to, and now we're getting to, and it's part of the podcast. So there's a little spoiler. You probably know what we're going to talk about. But first, we're going to go back to 1988. And we're going to take a little trip down memory lane with one Lieutenant Frank Drebin in The Naked Gun. Before we do, here's a clip. Let us honor America as Mr. Palazzo will now sing our national anthem. So, The Naked Gun, released in 1988. I cannot believe it's Every time I come on these podcasts, I talk, we talk about my like favourites and that, the, the guests' favourites and everything in between. I can't believe the amount of time that's passed since not just Naked Gun, but the time has passed. You know, we talked about, Williams, about how long it's been since Leslie Nielsen left us, which is just mm. such a huge gap in the comedy, the comedy culture that both of those gentlemen have left us. And it's strange with Leslie Nielsen because he was always a serious actor he was such a serious actor back then. and still in, you know, in Airplane and then obviously Naked Gun and a few others in between, some of the lesser known, lesser quality ones he did later, scary movies and things in between that he was part of. Sad that he's now left us. His, his, his I remember seeing an interview, but he's, he never thought of himself as a, as a funny slash comedy guy. He's a serious guy, but it's just all in the, in the, the way that the Zucker brothers and everything made the films, it made him seem funny. Um, do you yeah. remember the first time you do you remember the first time you saw this? Because this this is one of the classics that I think everybody has seen at one time or another. Yeah, I must have seen it when I was a, a kid. Like, and you know, and you, at that time you're just sort of laughing at the, uh, the the funny man does the funny things, like you know, the, the, the like you know when um or like when Priscilla uh, Presley falls down the stairs, you know, it's, mm. it's like the sort of the, the sort of simple jokes I think are the ones that I probably would have like, found really funny then. But I think as I got into my teenage years it was some of the you know it's the nice beaver like that sort of joke was probably like <laughs> as i became more of a, a mature person that's the joke i, I go to and I actually as I, I watched it on uh friday night um and in, in preparation for doing this show like i rewatched it again and it's it's actually the wordplay and stuff that i really like now like that's the stuff that i really gravitate towards and particularly because you know i've, I've massively got into um police squads after you know when i when i was at university and stuff so yeah like but yeah the first time i saw this i can't even think of of when it would have been but like from you know there's it's been a movie that i have loved for a long long time and as i said like you know watched it on friday night still laughing you know like still like belly laughing at some of the jokes and stuff <laughs> yeah it's strange because I, I i didn't know and i'm sure a lot of people didn't know or still don't know about police squad the police squad was the the predecessor was the tv version that didn't quite um take off i always remember hearing i can't remember if it was in an article or on one of um simon brew's film stories podcast he's such a he's an encyclopedia of films is simon brew that talks about when it went on to tv it doesn't try it doesn't quite translate it's hard to do the stuff in film that you do on TV because people don't watch TV the same way they watch films. You know, sometimes TVs 
on for something to do while they're doing something else or whatever else whereas when you're in the cinema you sit and watch and you have to kind of absorb everything so the jokes particularly like say the the physical jokes and the word humor and all that kind of stuff work so much better than on tv so I'm, I'm i'm still surprised to this day that police squad didn't work but then reading the history you kind of understand why that maybe audiences didn't want something like that on tv they were more i don't know maybe more like you know alice was a big thing at the time in america and all that and eastenders was kind of a big thing in the, the uk so yes yeah. thing sorry go on. Yeah, no, it was it was a show that I I had no idea of. Like, you know, I'd seen you know all three of the Naked Gun movies, and I had them on the the DVD. I'm, I'm thinking of like when I was at university, and my my friends and I would you know watch them and and laugh at that. And it wasn't until because they got a DVD release while I was at university, Police Squads, like the one series that it ran for. Mm. I remember like just being in you know, a must have been like a Virgin Megastore or something, and seeing that and being like, what? Like, there's there was a TV series of this, and that was like that was my first exposure to it. And like I've you know I've read interviews since then like the Zuckers basically like because it only ran for one series but I think they were quite glad that it only ran for one series because it's 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 hard enough to write a comedy movie let alone a comedy series of this style but the show is so quick and it's so witty the 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 first episode with the um uh, the bank teller and like the wordplay and all of that mm. of like oh I shot twice once no once no once shot twice and uh, and you know like, <laughs> it's and at the end, there's like we think we know how he did it. How he couldn't have done it, he wasn't in that day. <laughs> like, <and> it was. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many. I was. I was. Uh, yeah, I remember a lot of the TV shows. It reminded me a lot. I, I remember seeing um, Duck Soup, Arts Brothers movie for the first time, and that is so rapid. You know, all the mm. zingers in that are so rapid, and it's very, very reminiscent of Police Squad. Whereas in a Naked Gun, they're kind of allowed to broaden their horizons a little bit and do all of these amazing. You know, the, like you said, the, the, the pratfalls and the physical humour mixed with the wordplay, mixed with just the absurdity of things that the... I, I think the audacity of the um, Zucker brothers and, and Jim Abrams, Abrahams able to get Ezra Nielsen to say all these things without him ever questioning why that's... That, that must have yeah, been... Yeah. That's such a good... So good at that, like, to, to think of, you know, in, in the old days, you know, they had all these movies where there was such a big ensembles and all these kind of things, and Ezra Nielsen was... Part of that, and Forbidden Planet, and all these other like drama roles. But I guess his acting technique just didn't change. He just said them in the way that he would normally say them. But then realizing when he saw the movie or saw the scenes together that actually it was all played for laughs. You know, it was the serious seriousness, the seriousness of all turned into comedy. Yeah, for sure. I think that's completely why it works. Because like, I think I was talking to I was doing a podcast recently with a friend of mine. We were talking about um, Naked Gun thirty three and a third, mm. and in that we were, we were just talking about you know Leslie Nielsen performance. And I think one of the reasons why it works so well in Naked Gun and in Airplane is because like he just plays it like he would do any other role, mm. and it's just but like but when he does things where I think he's trying to be the funny person. So I'm thinking like Dracula Dead and Loving It, or as you said, you know some of the later scary movies. I don't think it, it works as well then. I think that Leslie Nielsen was at his best when he was just playing it as a straight thing. You know, it was just doing, you know, like, uh, we just want to wish you all good luck. We're all counting on you. Like, that's a very, very funny line. And it's a very memorable line. But the reason why it works so well is because he's not trying to be funny with that line. He's yeah. just delivering it as a line. Yeah. And also, if you could, you could, there's so many of his lines that aren't played for laughs like that laugh that you could quite easily take out and transport into a, 
a, a, you know, a, a serious version of an airplane disaster or a serious version of a, you know, if he was doing, like I say, he probably approached it the same way he would Shakespeare or doing, you know, any of, you know, any of these other great writers or doing stuff that he would have done in his upbringing as, a, as an actor, you know, I think he went to stage school, all that kind of stuff, very serious yeah, yeah. kind of guy. And then for some reason they managed to find the balance between him doing that, but then also being able to get these really fun. And that's why it worked. That's why it worked so, so well, because it's not really played for laughs the reason it works is because of him being him and almost playing he almost plays the buffoon without knowing he's playing the buffoon i think that's why it works because he is a bumbling idiot but he doesn't he still thinks he's the best policeman because he believes that <laughs> what he's doing is 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 right you know and that if you if you read the script by itself it kind of and remove yourself from the actual naked gunness of it it could quite easily be a detective show but i think that's the genius yeah. of it that he's doing all of that stuff for seriousness but then play for laughs it, it, it works absolute gangbusters there's so many moments i always remember them the, when i was a kid i used to love the bit where they uh it goes to the docks and they exchange the money it's like uh that were, well, I, I don't think I should, I should tell you oh yeah well, how about now oh no no don't think i should tell I don't know. oh okay and then they go back and forth and it gets to the end where the guy the, the guy on the boat um the harbor doctor whatever he's he's giving him money back he runs out of 20s and he goes can you lend me a 20 and he just gives him the 20 back and he gives it back to him but there's no joke like they're not playing it for laughs normally you'd be like because it's so straight based yeah exactly it makes it even funnier i've never seen anything like i don't think i've ever seen or will see anything quite quite like it again it's just it's just in, insane but so the meticulousness of the way that they were able to mix story with the comedy with these amazing actors because obviously you know you get george kennedy as well who was i think in you know using cool hand luke and all these other i think he was in Tower inferno or earthquake one of those big kind of studio disaster movies in the 60s and 70s and then you get priscilla presley and ricardo montalban who was khan you know it's just it's just a cavalcade of amazing actors all doing a comedy and and they probably all looked at the script and thought i don't know sure this is funny and then seeing it and going okay i get what you're saying I, I do love that that scene down in the docks, particularly because, like you said, it's it's all in the the delivery of that, which you know sounds like a, a silly thing to say, you know, for a, a comedy podcast, because it always is in delivery. That's kind of the secret yeah. of comedy. But it's it's because like it is just that line of just like, can you lend me a twenty? And the slow handing down of it, and then in the exact same temper that he's done on the other lines. How about now? Like, <laughs> just... all right, I will tell you. <laughs> all right, his name is Norbert. You know, they just carry on the conversation. <laughs> it's absolutely. <laughs> He has more with Ricardo Montalban's character, where he meets him for the first time, and he offers him a Cuban cigar, and he doesn't just say no, no, I'm fine. He, he says, uh, he goes Cuban. <laughs> he says, no, no, Dutch Irish. My father was from Wales. <laughs> <laughs> and you just think, reading that line must have been absurd. But he, I guess it's I, obviously he, I, I know that he and everybody else knew it was a comedy. Obviously, they, of course, they did. But played the way it's played, it just sounds even sillier it's just mm -hmm. the absolute brilliance of them being able to combine all those elements to give you you this very unique brand of i mean obviously people have done similar things before but no one's quite done what the the zaz as a as a formatively known in the, in the film world did with yeah. these movies it's just it's just incredible i think like i can't remember if it's from police squad and that's one of one of the things i really love about like the, the 
Naked Gun movies, and I actually had this when I was talking with a friend of mine uh, about them, as I was sending like some of my favorite lines, and I thought thinking it was from a different movie, being like, oh, this is one of my favorite lines from Naked Gun 3. It's like, oh, no, it's from the second one. And then I said another one where I was like, well, that's one of my friends, and that's from Police Squad. Because like, it's just like every single thing that they did was so rapid fire. And you mentioned like, you know, the introduction of, of characters and stuff when you first meet them. And is that like they did a lot of things where they lifted jokes from Police Squad. You could tell it wasn't a particularly very well watched show because they literally just lift some of the jokes wholesale. You know, like the that the Cuban line. I think it was. I think it's in the second one, or it might just be in Police Squad, where it's like uh, cigarettes. Yes, I know. And it's I think that, but like it's um the 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 red tall guy Ed, and he's just like you got something on the side of your face there, Ed. No, no, the other side, like half a banana falls off. It's, like, it's really good. But it's like, it's lifted literally wholesale from Police Squad. And I, they, even when like they are just, you know, lifting things up or just recycling things, it's still like, it still works. And it's still really, really punchy. And it's still really, really funny. And actually remarkably still feels really fresh. Yeah, I think that's the great thing about it. It's like, they have been able to do that. And also, you know, if you look at, airplane which is another classic that's essentially the same script as a script for a serious airplane movie that they'd made years before i think i can't remember what it's called something away or something i can't remember they literally just like you say just hold script wholesale and just went we're going to make this but make it as a comedy change a few things here and there and put our own stamp on it but essentially it's the same the same movie if you look at police squad you know there's so many you know cop shows that you can look at whether it's the, the straight laced cop shows of the time or or outlandish things of like Mac and PI, all those kind of things that were around at the time. But just taking what would ostensibly be an episode played seriousness about, you know, a, a drug lord trying to kill the queen, you know, all that kind of stuff. But paid for laughs. It's just, it, it's just mad how they can just take it, you say, do it wholesale, but completely change it and make it completely unique and, and fresh and original. It's just they're, the way yeah. they've been able to do that over there. And also the three films, like you say, over the three films, they've been able to to do that yeah like i i think of like the 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 sucker abrams stuff like it's uh, there's like a perfect quadrilogy of movies that they had for me which was airplane naked gun loaded weapon one and hot shots part duh like i think i i'm i think the hot shots two is, is funnier than the, the first one even though the first one is incredible stuff but like i think that's like a it's almost like a perfect quadrilogy of parody movies and and people sort of looked at to the the wayans were going to be the the successors of the the parody genres like well no one does it as well as the uh no one does it as well as the zuckers and i i would argue probably not many people did it as well as the zuckers and then the, the wayans came in with scary movie and that's I, and they also they had um don't be a menace mm. and people thought that okay these are the new successors and they sort of they kind of weren't and then they looked at the people who took over from the wayans on the scary movies and think okay well these are going to be these are the new zucker and abrams and even then, like they just then they floundered with doing epic movie and date movie and meet the Spartans and and that sort of fell apart. And now I don't think like parody movies like that quadrilogy of movies don't exist anymore. And it's a it's a real shame because I think it's it is a it's a fine art and it's really difficult to do. And I think what that quadrilogy of movies shows, especially when you compare it to the people that were, you know, pretenders to their throne show, is that it is almost it's nigh on impossible to get it right and they got it right like four or five times yeah and i think a lot of those other other movies i think scary movie one is probably and you say don't met don't be a menace are the two that probably out of that massive yeah, roster totally. of those movies kind of get it as close to as you possibly can but i think the problem with a lot of those movies particularly as they went on is that they're so desperate to be funny that they just tried to be as funny as they possibly could when the art of it isn't yeah. in 
being as funny as you can. There's about just this kind of subtlety between just being outlandishly funny and gross out, all that kind of stuff, and then meshing it with with a with a kind of story, but also not really playing it to be funny if that makes sense. It isn't about the laughs per se, whereas a lot of those light ones like date movie epic movie, the reason why they're so bad is because they're just so desperately trying to be funny and take the Mickey out of all those other things when nine times out of ten a simple SNL sketch would be funnier than sitting through 90 minutes of, of those movies. I think the only other one that I can think of, and the only reason I say it is because it's staring at me from my wall above me, is is Austin Powers. I think that's the only other one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's very different to the others because it is a, a pastiche on, on those movies, but a very loving pastiche. I think that's maybe why it works a bit better because Mike Myers was so so um, so good at, at bringing the pastiche stuff and giving it kind of a modern slant and again it's not I mean it is a spoof in some ways but also again it has a bit more subtlety than, than those movies that are just trying to be funny so I think yeah Austin yeah. Powers is probably the only other one that recent times uh, it's kind of a dying that's, art yeah. form isn't it? it doesn't really happen much anymore that's the thing I, I didn't think of Austin Powers and I think it might be as you say like I don't it, it never really jumps out to me as like a traditional parody movie. Like mm. it's not a parody movie as in like Naked Gun or um, uh, Airplane is or um, mm. Loaded Weapon 1. But it is, you're right, like it is taking all of the tropes of the of Bond movies and subverting them for comedy purposes. And actually, you know, to a sentence, I suppose you could say that, you know, Shaun of the Dead does that. Like Shaun mm. of the Dead takes like all the sort of the, the pastiche stuff of a zombie movie and it's like, well, okay, well, this is what was, this is really interesting from Dawn of the Dead. Let's make a joke out of it. But it is not a straight-up parody movie mm. of of Dawn of the Dead or or you know or anything like that. But they are like yeah, I think like Austin Powers and Shaun of the Dead kind of like tread that line. Mm. Uh, and a hot fuzz, I suppose, is is to a degree as well. Um, but yeah, like I don't there there haven't been the only sort of parody movie that I can think of that's come out in recent times. And it's a shame that not many more people saw it because I thought it was really good. Was uh, they came together with Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. Mm. And I remember like seeing that movie and I, and I went to a press screening of it and being like, holy, like this is a parody movie. Like mm. we haven't had one of these in like for, for forever and a day. Yeah, that is the modern equivalent. I knew it when you were saying it, I knew exactly what you were going to say because it is the, <laughs> but it is the one, isn't it? And not many people have seen it. Maybe it's to do with modern audiences not really taking to that kind of humor anymore. Maybe they, you know, there's, we always talk on the podcast about um, how Jim Carrey was very much of the 90s and Eddie Murphy was all of a particular time and maybe the spoof fully fledged spoof movie has kind of uh, has kind of died out now and I think yeah. um, I think the other thing as well with something like Austin Powers is it Bond was an easy target in some ways because Bond was becoming a little bit of a not a parody but was getting away from the the Roger Moore movies are very different to the Daniel Craig movies let's put it that way uh, and different than the movie Dalton movies. So it was an easier target, I guess, than... It's the thing with all these epic movies, it's just easy targets. All these people just oh, like, yeah. oh, we can just make a 300 spoof movie. We can just make a superhero spoof movie. It's just e they're just easy targets, whereas with Austin Powers, Bond is an easy target, but also because it was the way it was in the 80s, there's a kind of connection there, isn't there? Whereas the other ones are just doing it to just take the piss out of superhero tropes. Yeah. And I think like why it sort of works with uh, with Zucker and Abrams um, is that like airplane. You mentioned you know it, it is a it's essentially it's a remake of a movie that already exists, but they just you know but it's a movie that not many people saw, and it's like just an airplane disaster movie, and they make a comedy movie out of it. Naked mm. Gun is a sort of parody of 
cop you know noir movies because you've got like the Drebin voiceover and everything like that loaded weapon one is a is a parody of lethal weapon one mm. but the the key to all of this is that you don't have needed to have seen any of the movies that it's parody no, yeah like you don't need to have seen whatever airplane was based on you don't need to have seen a 50s noir movie you don't need to have seen lethal weapon one because i i saw loaded weapon one before i saw lethal weapon and loaded <laughs> weapon one is still a really really like it's still a hilarious movie just you know like um Emilio westerfers going into the house you know calling us i was like you know where are you no oh, just taking a shit like it's <laughs> it is an amazing parody of the scene from lethal weapon 2 but if you've not seen that movie, it's still a funny scene because it's just, it's so weird and it's so oddball. Whereas, you know, like Date Movie and Meet the Spartans, as you say, like, it's just like, well, 300, cool, make it, like, that's the joke. The yeah. joke is, we've said 300. And you kind of need to have seen those movies in order to understand the the reference and stuff. And and like, I, I say, understand the, the joke. There's no joke there. It's like, we're just saying the movie. And I think that's the genius of, particularly The Naked Gun, it's its own world. It's its mm. own weird and wacky world where everyone is a comedy character and there's only like a handful of straight men or like, you know, the straight characters because you've got like Ricardo Montalban and you've got the, you know, um, uh, the, I can't remember the, her role now, but she, I think she's, like, she's the mayor of the, you know, the town and stuff. But they're like really the only two actors, the only two characters in the movie that are like straight lace, we're not comedy. Everyone's mm. just doing comedy around us. So what you you sort of invited into is just this weird and wacky world where Drebin and you know they can just drive down to the docks and just knock someone who just goes flying off into uh, into the water, and then they stand there and be like, "Oh, I can't believe this happened to Nordberg." They just cut to the water, and they've done the police outline of where Nordberg was in the water over the like water. <laughs> over the water. That's not something that happens in the in the real world, but to them it is like, "Oh, this is a normal everyday occurrence," and. You know, there's the scene that I always think of in Loaded Weapon One is they're in, you know, she's uh, giving um, uh, a police sketch and they cut to it and he's doing it on a Mr. Potato Head doll, you know, like doing oh, it yeah, on the police yeah. sketches. And then later in the movie, they arrest that person who has got the <laughs> Mr. Potato Head sketch that they did, <laughs> but it's just in the background. Yeah. And that's why, and, and that's why I love these movies so much because they are just these weird worlds that we're just sort of like invited into for 90 minutes. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I've, because I've been rewatching it lately because of Disney Plus. One thing I will say about um, Family Guy is that they those kind of jokes they do do. I mean, obviously, it's, the Family Guy is very different. You know, the whole whole world of Family Guy is very different. But they do play with some of those tropes now and again. Like there is an episode I think where Peter draws an artist. He's an artist impressionist for the police, and he draws a thing, and he says, "Is it this guy?" And he goes, "Oh my god, that's the guy!" And then that, that's it. The kind of joke finishes at the end of the episode. That guy get that. Thing gets or whatever it looks like gets arrested it's just like oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's like loading weapon when he does this repair so it does kind of reverberate into modern culture but it just that it just doesn't happen anymore maybe because of particularly in the 80s and maybe the early 90s you know that that kind of comedy doesn't really exist anymore it does maybe it's one of those things now where it doesn't really you know comedy is such a, a delicate art form anyway and to then sell it to people to get them to go and see things is a is a hard concept so i think maybe in modern day with you know in terms of like box office you don't really get movies making a lot of money like they used to no. we, we always talk about during the 80s we talk about you know naked gun was huge success police academy movies were huge successes eddie murphy was massive you know steve martin was making movies john candy was making movies those people don't really exist and it was all about nine to five as well we don't get movies like nine to five in that sense anymore i guess it's of the times isn't it but yeah comedy seems to have a home more and home 
platforms now like adam sandler still makes movies for netflix but people always seem like he still gets the equivalent box office in netflix numbers which sometimes you think are they really true or not but it doesn't really it doesn't really transport to the big screen as much anymore does it no, I suppose like the, you know, the the comedy movies that we get now, like I think in the, uh, what I suppose you could call the Apato era of mm. comedy, like where it is like, you know, they have now sort of grounded comedy yeah. now. It's like, well, now we're like just looking at things like this is just an everyday life now, you know, it's just like, oh, well, what's this guy? He's a 40 year old virgin. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, that's the comedy. And that's a, that's a brilliant movie. Like it's a really, really funny movie. And I think the same of like Knocked Up. Yeah. And, you know, you know, some of the more wacky ones, like, you know, you did um, Step Brothers. Uh, on this show and I love Step Brothers. Step Brothers has got one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen in a film in my entire life which is like it's like masturbating in a time machine. That, <laughs> I think it's one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in the cinema screen um, but like yeah those films they all have like a, a ceiling of like how much money they're going to make and it's a rare outsider like outlier rather like you know The Hangover that's just like all of a sudden it becomes like the biggest movie and it's like well how did that become the biggest movie it's like well i don't really know because it's there's this film over here that's as funny but did a third of what that did at the box office but like you yeah. say like you know naked gun 33 and the third that's the third movie in the franchise it was number one at the box office it was number mm. one here in the uk at the box office i think that like that would never happen at this point because at the top of the box office now it tends to be your big spectacle movies if it is a comedy it's there for a week and then it's then it's gone yeah, I think uh, uh, the other one, obviously, I think still one of the highest grossing R-rated films, because it's usually R-rated stuff that seems to be That's because right, yeah. it has slightly more uh, outlandish stuff. But you look at, like you say, a Hangover, and we've had in recent years, Wedding Crackers, and then obviously Ted was a huge... Yeah, yeah. Had a, it kind of had a novelty to it. It was, you know, like Mark Wahlberg, a talking bear. Okay. Well, see and that. yeah, the Seth MacFarlane connection. And the, the Family Guy stuff. Yeah, of course. Guy's, family Guy's huge and popular. Yeah. So like, people are like, oh, cool, it's the Family Guy guy. Yeah. now doing it and, and because like it's the, a very similar voice to to what peter griffin is as well everyone's like oh cool i love family guy i only go see the movie version of this yeah but there's not too much these days is there? i think obviously netflix and amazon kind of thrive in the sense that they're they're obviously like horror movies that probably can be made for slightly cheaper than bigger movies but then you don't have the risk of trying to find an audience while you know the weekend of Avengers Endgame is out or something you know it's hard to you know the big movies take a lot of money now and everybody wants particularly the Marvel movies every it's not like when, when we were teenagers where there'd be a big movie one week and you wouldn't get another one for another month you'd have to kind of wait yeah. it out to get stuff whereas now it's like distantly every week and post-Covid we might have a situation where it's rel- it would be relentless won't it in terms of cinemas so much stuff to come out and then to come out um the comedies kind of get get left behind no one's really no one really does it in the same way when we were like i say in the 90s you know there were so many stars wasn't there? it was jim carrey will smith made his comedies adam zandler made his comedies you know and then then you had something like bridesmaids come out when everyone was like oh women can be funny it's like well yes they can yes they can it's just no one wanted to no studio wanted to make this movie and it becomes one of the kind of biggest movies comedy movies of the last 15 years in fact that is one of the biggest so it has changed. Like you said, I think it's more reflective of modern society. Everything kind of has yeah. changed, isn't it? And has a more grounded quality, like you say, with your virgin or, you know, here's, here's the pitch. Seth Rogen has a baby. Okay. I want to see that. Yeah, right. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, I was thinking then, like, you know, like, and it's not like these, the comedy actors that we have now, you know, like a, a Will Ferrell or, or mm. something like or a John C. Riley. It's not like they couldn't do this sort of movie either. That was my the point I was going to make. And then I thought, ah, but they did do Holmes and Watson. 
Yeah. And 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 that wasn't great. But so like I but I just, I do think that they could do this style of movie if they wanted to. But I don't know if there's the like you say I don't know if there's an appetite for mm. it anymore. Which I think is it's a, it's a real shame. But it very much sort of makes these a product of their time, yeah. which I find you know equally as interesting. It's just sort of like you know these these are sort of like this little time capsule of just like well, this is what comedy movies like. And actually, you know, the movie that we're going to do second, I think, is of a similar vein of you know. I was watching it today and I was like, this film just would not get made today. But I can't think as to why it wouldn't get made today. Yeah, yeah, very much of it's, of both of them very much of their time. Neither of these movies would be made now. But I think, that, again, that's the state of affairs of, 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 of cinema. You know, people, people maybe want to, you know, you have all the debate of how expensive cinemas is and what kind of stuff. Is a comedy movie even headlined by a big star going to make the same money it would in the 90s. You know, in the 90s, when a Jim Carrey movie or, like you say, a, uh, an Eddie Murphy movie back in the 80s, it was just such an, it was, a, it was its own event. We yeah, have totally. event movies in a different way now. There was, when I was a teenager, the, the sight of a new Jim Carrey movie opening, all of us from school, you know, you'd see all the teenagers going to see, because it was just the, the event, you know. That's changed now, and the economics are such that they just don't, they don't make a lot of money, but then I guess they're not hugely expensive to make unless you're making something no, like, exactly. a, like a Ted where you have another element to it, which is CGI and all that kind of stuff. But they're all producers on the movie as well. Like, you know, mm. like Will Ferrell and, you know, and like that, that crew, if you want to sort of call them a crew, they usually you'll see them in the producers credits and everything like that. So for them, it's not particularly much of a sort of a money risk really, because it's their own money that they're sort of spending on these things. Yeah. I, remember I interviewed um Adrian Escaria quite a few years ago now, um, who was the producer on like uh, the Hitmen movies and stuff. And he made a very interesting point to me that he sort of believes that like, you know, cinema is coming for a real change. And I, you know, I think we've seen this change in the last couple of years, which is that the cinemas will just be reserved for blockbusters, you know, the big budget action blockbusters, because you kind of want to see that on the big screen. But at home, people have got 55 60 inch tvs with the big surround sound and stuff so like the cinema experience of seeing things on the big screen with the big surround sound like i remember like we went to a different town to go and see jurassic park not only just because like it was one of the few places we could get tickets to go and see it but we specifically wanted to go there because they were the ones who were like we've got new surround sound built in mm. specifically for jurassic park now like people have got that in their house so do you need to go to the cinema to see a Will Ferrell comedy? Like you don't need the big surround sound. Like it's for that. You can get that effect in your own home. So yeah, I think the, the appetite for it has changed because, well, yeah, I can just get this on VOD mm. in a couple of months time and I'll have the exact same experience that I would have done in the cinema. And actually it'll probably be a bit of a cheaper experience for me as well. Cause I wanted to go through all the, the rigmarole of the cinema trip. Sure. And it'd be, it would have been interesting to see obviously without covid and everything is very different in hindsight with, with what's happened over the last year or so see how movie comedy movies that have been released at that time would have played in cinemas you know barb and star movie came out a couple of weeks ago which i didn't like particularly but i always wondered and said to friends and, and you know film critics and stuff would the experience have been slightly better if we'd have all seen it in a cinema and had a beer together yeah and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. and that's not that's that's what we want it's not necessarily what general audiences want they don't really need it's like well i could go to the cinema and see this movie that may or the reviews haven't been great i have to pay for a ticket i have to pay for parking if you know if I, there's two of us i have to pay for that and etc etc whereas i could wait for it to come on vod and spend 15 pound on a rental but 
people only spending half the money I would spend when you add on drinks and, and all the other stuff that goes with it. The same with The King of Staten Island, which is the new Judd Apatow movie, which didn't get a cinema release for obvious reasons, but then you wonder whether that would have played the same had it been in cinemas, would people have gone to see it? Uh, there's not there's not been too many over the over the court, like big you know movies that have big stars yeah, in them yeah. kind of thing, and the comedies. So it, it would have been interesting to see that, but at the same time, you know, maybe the studios now think that's like you say the hybrid platform that seems to be what's going to be the new norm in terms of cinema releases when we come out of it. But no, obviously, it's not going to be the same for some of the bigger movies like Disney aren't going to Marvel aren't going to put their stuff on home entertainment five days later, wherever it's going to be. But then we're going to get that for um, Quiet Place, Two Mission Impossible, and Bond. So maybe they will. I don't know. It's a strange. It's uh, a strange yeah. place now. I think we are sort of making an introduction, but I'm going to very much miss that experience. Like I was thinking when I was watching Naked Gun, you know, a film came out in 88. So like I wasn't at the cinema, you know, seeing Naked Gun when it came out. I was only, you know, three years old. So I wasn't there at the cinema. <laughs> but I have been in a cinema screen to see Naked Gun because I've seen it at the, at the Prince Charles. And it mm. is like, it's so great to be in a room full of people that are like, you know, laughing at all of the jokes and everything. Because that's it's an infectious thing. And it's sort of like, you know, somebody laughing can often make you laugh as well. And sort of like it, it ripples across the cinema. And I, again, it's a film that you've had on this show. I love Booksmart. I think Booksmart is a terrific movie. It's so, so good. And it's so funny. And I got, you know, I got to see that at the pictures. And it was a much better experience because I get to, I got to see it at the pictures in front of like, in a, and it was a very small screen as well, because, you know, it's like you get your, your local multiplex thing and it's like, well, it's the comedy movie. You're in screen 52. Like, you know, you're down at the, the far end, like in, yeah. There's 25 seats in there, but like I, I, I loved it. Like me and my wife just came up being like, "That was so like that's a five star comedy movie." And I wonder if part of that was a, it's a five star comedy movie, but b, because we were in full of in a cinema screen with 25 other people that were also like, "This is a five star comedy, and it's so so great." Yeah, that's that's the thing. I've 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 just moved the next one, obviously. Um, I've missed that experience. I've missed the cinema experience. But again, maybe it's more for the the film critic in, in me or the you know film goer in me that I always want to go to the cinema. I don't care whether it's Avengers, I don't care whether it's Portrait of in Fire, whether it's, you know, uh, a film from Sweden or a very small, you know, a Nicolas Cage film. You know, I I, I actually sat and watched Willy's Wonderland at home on Friday night. I rented it. I would love to have seen that in the cinema. I know it's very different, but I was just picturing everybody going, Nicolas Cage fighting animatronic kids things. Yeah. I have to go and see that on the biggest screen I possibly can and laugh my ass off because it's it is hilariously funny, but it, obviously it's not a comedy. But that experience is very different to you sitting. It's all right, you, like you say, sitting with like a gun with by yourself or with your housemates or with your partner or whatever is 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 good because you know it's a familiar movie. But I miss the experience of going to the cinema. For it. I, I I it bugs my brain that it's been over a year or almost a year since I've been. Well, once in, once in a year, gone to the cinema, which is just man, I, I miss that, and I can't, I couldn't ever fathom a world where we don't have that, at least in some form, because I think it would be missing. But then, like you say, I could say that to any friends of mine or some in the family or whatever, probably go, oh, I don't need to go to the cinema today. I'll watch it at home. I've got a CD's TV at home. Okay, exactly. But yeah. I can't. That's I don't like doing that. You know. Yeah, like a film like Naked Gun. Like, do you need to see it on a on a cinema screen? Like, you know, for like a general public, like, do you need is is a cinema experience like the required necessity for the Naked Gun in order for it to be good? Mm. Like, I you know, I think I could see the argument on on both sides of it, but I think I you know I laughed as much watching it at home on my own as I did 
in a cinema screen full of people. Mm. So yeah, I, I can certainly see both sides of the coin, yeah, both sure. sides of the argument on that. Yeah, for sure. And also it's one of those things where I was thinking the other day about upgrading my DVD box set to the Blu-rays. And I thought to myself, do I? Is it going to play a different on Blu-ray? I mean, <laughs> I don't really need to. It's not, it's not like me sitting with my, I don't know, my Dark Knight DVD and then my Dark Knight Blu-ray and thinking, no, I need that on Blu-ray because I need all the crisp sound and everything else. We have a naked gun, no disrespect to it. It's just one of those movies you just want to put it on as easy as possible, whether you stream it or whether you just put the DVD, old DVD in and tuck it in. It's still going to be exactly the same experience. So I think that's the beauty of some of those old 80s movies. I like the nostalgia of having, like in the old days, I had those videos. I like the nostalgia of having the video. And now I like the nostalgia of having the DVDs because also you get them all together, which is a rarity these days, you know, in modern yeah. society. You get one movie and then you get the second movie and then you get a box set. But the third movie comes out and then you have to buy another box set. So I like the little three Naked Gun trilogy box set. It's just how it should be. <laughs> there was like actually did have a bit of a nostalgic trip um because i i did I, I got to bust out the dvd which is something that i don't i don't do often like it is, you know, <laughs> I, I, I moved back into yes yeah, going back years ago now but, like i was living in with some friends and i had all my dvds on shelves and stuff and i had so many dvds that they were spilling out of the shelves and they were all stacked up and everything and i had to move back into my parents house because i was trying to save up to buy a house so they all had to go into storage and essentially every dvd i own went into storage for three to four years wow and then when i moved back you know finally bought the house uh, with my girlfriend now wife they still stayed in storage for a few years while we were trying to find the space to put them in and then when we actually found that space it was in the understairs cupboards and like by that point netflix and amazon and all this stuff become so like prevalent and you know disney plus and all this that the DVD, there was like this nostalgia moment when we were like, oh, I'm going to, I do fancy watching the Avengers because we were doing an MCU rewatch. And it's like, we can't find any streaming service We'd, when we're going to pay for Disney Plus at that point. And I was like, I might have to go into the cupboards. I want to go to the cupboard and find my <laughs> DVD copy of the Avengers and, and load this into the PlayStation. And so I had that with Naked Gun like this time because again i've moved to house now so everything's back into boxes again so i sort of rifle through all the boxes that i've got for like you know the very small <laughs> amount of, of physical media that i still have and it was a quite wonderful experience actually <laughs> like getting the dvd seeing a dvd menu and and selecting yeah. it in the same way it was quite wonderful really yeah back in the days when the dvd menu was the extra feature interact <laughs> interactive menu Oh, when you first got your DVD, you were like, oh my God, look, it's it's playing the music behind the graphics. Oh, and you can go in and look at the bio. Oh, this is exciting. Whereas now you're just like, I just want to watch the film. That's it. Although yeah. saying that, films like Naked Gun, there's a lot of films like this, especially older movies, that if they're not on a streaming platform, you know, they might be discontinued, they might not be available anymore. So it's nice to have the backup of just going, no, 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 let me get the disc out. <laughs> you say, probably get the disc out and be like, disc? Well, yeah, the physical disc i'm gonna put the disc in and press play is it not on netflix no it's not on netflix let me just put the disc in to save <laughs> come all here, the kids. This is, come here let kids. me show you how it used to be <laughs> this is this is what we call an interactive menu yeah do you, <laughs> would you like to watch the trailer before we see the film to get the real cinema experience we can do that <laughs> do you want to see the bios of the actors it's in a sub menu if i go this way i always like some of the menus because they always put there's so many things i think like um I think it's on the Charlie's Angels DVD where Paul Murray's got Ghostbusters 3 in his bio, and you think. Uh, <laughs> and then I think there's one Jim Carrey movie disc, I can't remember which one it is, where you look at his bio and it says The Mask 2, and you're like, well, I think, it, I think someone didn't, they didn't go down records of it. It's always <laughs> quite funny. Never mind. Anyway, Never mind. that was yeah. us talking about The Naked Gun and reminiscing about the 80s, which is, which is kind of the, one of the themes of the podcast this week. Uh, but Naked Gun, if you haven't seen it, yeah, that's all, that's all I can. 
and you could probably get it for a couple of quid on Amazon Prime if you need to rent it, or you. It's on Now TV as well. Oh, it's on Now like, TV. There you go. Yeah, you can you you can uh, stream it on through Now TV, and it is like it's it, it's not even ninety minutes. I think it's actually close. Yeah, to they're all they're all minutes. very. I think they can take the like seventy two minutes or something. It's, yeah. it's like, but you, when you watch it, you're like, it's perfect because it's just the story works for seventy two minutes. Oh. Hundred and fifty minute version of Naked Gun. Come on, it's just totally. We know what world we're in. Uh, or go and buy it off eBay. You might yeah, you might find it on eBay for like ninety nine p. I mean. Might even frame free postage, who knows? Anyway, totally. Naked Gun, a whale of a time. 33 years old this year. My goodness oh. me, that is absolute insanity. Insanity. The next film we're going to talk about, though, is 34 years. And the clue for this one is in the title of the podcast. We're finally getting around to it. 1987, a bumper year for comedy and for movies. Master Universe was released in 1987. Just put that out there. Favorite film. But what film we're going to talk about now? Of course, I've played the clip from the opening of the podcast, and you know what it is straight away. Although there is a warning, we will say, if you're not a fan of profanity, you might want to skip this clip because there's a few swear words. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? You're fucked. Yes, so that was a clip from 1987's comedic masterpiece that is Planes, Trains and Automobiles, written and directed by John Hughes, starring the dynamic duo of Steve Martin and John Candy, and a, and a plethora of cameos uh, in there that uh, some John Hughes alum and uh, someone from a certain band called Spinal Tap, <laughs> and a few other, yeah. a few, a smattering of other people, but it's ostensibly. Uh, Steve Martin and John Candy. Now you've only just uh, watched this, Luke, haven't you? But I, I have an idea as to what you're about to say to me. So why don't I throw it to you and then you can say what you want to say and then we'll go from there. Well, I mean, as, as long as I've known you, Scott, this has been your favorite film ever. So I almost don't want to steal the floor. Uh, I almost <laughs> want to just sort of hand it across to you to be like, I think this, this is now like your time to shine. You've got an old, you, you've got a platform now. <laughs> Yeah. shout from the rooftops as to why you love this film so much yeah the floor is yours as they say um <laughs> yeah. okay well I'll, I'll yeah i'll go into a into a into a, into it then so i first saw so basically when i was a teenager a teenager a youngster i used to visit my nan and granddad's house pretty much every weekend when my dad used to work and my mum uh, used to take us on the bus to my nan's house i didn't live too far away and they had my granddad and my uncle had a plethora of vhs's this was in the time of vhs it was a big thing and my granddad had, uh, do you remember watching that Peter Case stand-up where he talks about his dad having those video library cases? Oh, yeah, with number, yeah, yeah. Numbers on. So my granddad had like 50 of those and they were all numbered. And he had a little 
little like pull out of a notepad that had one all numbered. So I always remember number one being Papillon, <laughs> as it is. But obviously, yeah. in those days, you had to record stuff off the telly to be able to see it, didn't you? VHS, obviously, VHSs were big in those days. But if you didn't want to pay the money, which the VHSs were quite expensive in the day, weren't they? I mean, you're looking at mm. 15, 20 quid for a VHS, which in, if you look at it now, you're just like, that's really expensive. People, oh, yeah. you know, you know me, where I, where I, my other job is. People come in and go, well, this film's just come out. Why is it 15 pounds? It's like, well, that's exactly why it's 15 pounds, because it's just come out. <laughs> Do you want it or not? <laughs> This person does. <laughs> um, anyway, not to get sidetracked. Anyway, they had a whole plethora of things. And it was in those days that I remember seeing lots of films, a lot of 80s films. So I was first introduced to stuff like Willow and Labyrinth and a few other things in between. And I can't remember if Plain Strange was the first one I saw of Steve Martin's or one of the first ones, because I think at the time I remember seeing Dirty Rotten Scoundrels very early. And I think the reason for that is because that's a lower rated film certificate wise mm. and planes trains planes trains is very r-rated or 15 certificate in the uk for obvious reasons one scene in particular uh but managed to i'm pretty sure i managed to convince them to let me see it i convinced them to let me see american werewolf too young i managed to let them let me see mm -hmm. batman too young terminator too far too young but you know <laughs> this is this is the result <laughs> i'm missing it for the first time and what struck me about it and what continues to strike me is even though it's such a funny film i mean the the hit rate on this film is so um so vast like the percentage of hit rates in terms of jokes i mean obviously in comedy even in the most perfect comedies there's a couple of bum notes in there you just can't help that but oh, yeah. the hit rate on this is absolutely phenomenal but it's i don't think it's that reason that i like it so much i think i like it so much because of the relationship between the character two characters the main characters you know they're kind of the they're kind of yin and yang aren't they you know steve martin very much playing against type in those days you know in 87 he wasn't the straight guy he would never really play the straight guy he was the wild and crazy guy he was the more eccentric guy which in this john candy plays but he his eccentricities are founded in what we'll talk about which is you know the, the deep-seated um tragedy that he's kind of dealing with he's overcompensating for everything but in those days you wouldn't see steve martin doing this steve martin and i'm sure you'll agree with this at the beginning as the film goes on he's not a very nice guy at the beginning no he is he oh, is no. a bit of an arsehole and there's that that scene where you know they've they've he's fallen over the trunk and they've kind of been in each other's faces and don't really want to be and they're sat on the plane together and circumstance keeps bringing them together and together but it's not until that scene where steve martin's character has had enough and has a just completely berates john candy's character and john candy you know john candy was such a lovable guy anyway that if you even if you push a lovable person, there's a, there's a point where if you push someone they were going to push back to you and there's that great scene where steve martin says to him about being a you know like a chatty cathy doll and you know you you got have a point always have a point to things but yeah um john candy in the nicest way he's the nicest guy ever in the, the character is anyway and he is i'm sure he was you know while he was alive but just straight away it's just like no no don't don't you dare put me down for, for this. You don't, you, you essentially, he's saying to him, you have no idea why, what the, my backstory is. You have no idea. We've just met each other and circumstances has pushed it, it's pushed us together. And I think it's that relationship where they make each other better. It's such a warm, eventually a warm kind of loving relationship between the two of them. And I don't think there's been many, there's lots of duos in comedy that have been amazing, but I don't think there's too many that have been quite as sincere and charming and loving towards each other than these two and i think that's what makes it work and amongst all of these crazy things and the crazy things are very crazy and very out there 
and people have had those stories you know but maybe no one's really had it to that extreme where it's just one after another after another over the course of what is ostensibly two or three days you know yeah that are at the end of it they can form they manage to find a friendship they both bring out the side of them that they are repressing in the sense steve mine's character is repressing he's anger he's angry about his job he doesn't like his job all those kind of things so he's getting angry because of that and he resents you know the corporate machine he resents the work that he's in he resents not being able to see his family all of that so he likes to unload it on people you know he unloads it on people that don't deserve it and on john candy's side he's he's got to a point where he's overcompensating so much that he becomes not offensive but people that's why people don't want to hang out with him because of how he is but the reason behind that is this deep-seated tragedy and they kind of bring they kind of bring each other back to a level playing field if you like they both in completely opposite directions and both completely at odds with life and where they are in life and they're very uh, regretful because of what things have but they together they bring bring this kind of great emotion out of each other and bring out this other side of them which is the side that is has been kicked deep within them and they both bring that out of each yeah. other and, and by the end of the movie they become friends which at the start of the movie you wouldn't think twice but that's that's what great friendships do especially in cinema especially if you can have a friendship that's as good as this you're laughing and i don't think that's why i love it so much i think i don't think there's been many other films where the friendship has been so deep deep seated and not just not just, it's a comedy film obviously but so deep seated in genuine emotion towards each other and loving and as i say they the way that they kind of bring each other back from from you know from dark places um I think John Hughes did an extraordinary job. And this was at a time when he was doing teenage stuff. So to then move on to a more mature film, um, I don't think it's been better. And that's why I hold it in such high regard. But you've only, you've only just rewatched this again, haven't you? Yeah, just uh, I'd seen it, you know, many, many, many moons ago. Like, you know, I think as we all do, is when we start to sort of discover our love for movies, you kind of go mm. through the, the greats. You know, you'd be like, OK, I, I liked this movie. And then someone says, oh, well, if you like that movie, you'll probably like this movie. You know, and I like the work of John Hughes and I, I love John Candy. And people are like, oh, if you like that, then you'll like this. So, you know, I saw it then, but I hadn't revisited it in many, many years. So like today was the first uh, the first time I'd watched it in, God, maybe... 15 or so years maybe even upwards of like 20 years like it it feels like it's been a long long time um since i saw it but it's it's one of those films now like a friend of mine um watches it every year at thanksgiving like that's his thanksgiving tradition is to watch this movie like mine and my wife's is to do um adverse family values <laughs> but um uh, his is to do uh planes trains so i was like but i i think now i may have to add it into like my thanksgiving rotation because it's it's such a wonderful film anyway with two incredible performances and you kind of talk about how like John Candy's not unlikable like I think overbearing might be sort mm. of the, a, a good word to use about his character because he's not he is annoying but he's not doing it like he's not doing it on purpose he's not being malicious about it you kind of get the sense that there was only one person in the world that understood him and understood who he really was and was the that one person that almost forgave him for his sort of like overbearingness and that was his wife now that his wife isn't here which you know we find out later in the movie he hasn't got that person anymore that understands him and understands the way that he is so it's like steve martin he's just this irritant he's just this you know as you said their paths keep crossing they can't seem to escape each other and it's 
it, by the end of the movie, it, it's this sort of wonderful journey of sort of realizing that they actually are bringing out the best of them. One of the things that really struck me about the movie, one of the things I really, really liked about it is I think if this sort of movie was made now, where you've got this odd couple, you've got the straight man and you've got a really uh, overbearing character, um, but the overbearing character has got their reasons. I get the I, I get the feeling that now you would basically just play that for two thirds of your movie. You basically just play a straight man and your overbearing character, and then go into Act Three. You do the big reveal of just like, oh, I'm actually overbearing for X, Y, and Z. You know, you have the big falling out. Well, this is the way that I am, and then they come back together for your final portion of the movie. Whereas here, like it's almost right out the gates. It's like the first argument they have. Uh, John Hughes puts it all out on the table. And like Steve Martin, as you, you mentioned, they have the beer, have a point. It makes it so much more enjoyable for the listener. Like he has this huge rant to him and John Candy just bears his soul out. And it's just like, I like the way that I am. And I, you know, and I am this person. I just didn't, I don't know if a movie would be brave enough to, and so Blase to just put that out there right at the start. And it immediately, it puts you at odds with Steve Martin to be like, oh, mate, you were a little bit a little bit harsh there like yeah no it was a bit annoying but like that was a, a complete overreaction I, I feel like that argument would have happened way later but it actually hmm. makes more sense for it to be this early because if you were in this uh, situation in IRL in real life you would have this argument fairly like fairly early on yeah if somebody is annoying you in that sense and if you go through what they go through yes it would be something that it's almost like a volcano erupting isn't it it's almost like all of that stuff is so but it's so quick like you say it's within the first 20 minutes of the movie if not sooner than that first 10-15 minutes and it really sets a precedent for everything and what's great about that scene as well is obviously I think we talked about this off air about knowing about John Candy's situation and then finding out as you go mm. on when you go back in the movie it makes sense as to what he says but at that time when he mentions about his wife you think oh he's something's going on in his life that's not that and as it slowly revealed over the time that his wife has passed and that's why not just why he's like that but he's he's lot he's lost soul he's a lost soul he has nowhere else he has no real friends he's someone that you get the sense dedicated his life to his wife and his wife dedicated her life to you know they were very much inseparable and you know and uh, as much as they probably had friends who have everything else because of the because she's obviously passed away he's probably lost that connection with all those mm. other people because he's so um He's so kind of, he's completely thing with grief. You know, he's completely surrounded by grief. His grief is so immense that he can't shake it. And he overcompensates for himself by saying, by just being that eccentric and that kind of overbearing, as you say, but he's not, he's not even doing it. He's doing it subconsciously. He's not doing it consciously. He doesn't know that he's doing it. And I think what's great about when you get to that scene towards the end, and we're talking about spoilers, but hopefully you've seen the film by now, but um <laughs> when it's revealed to him when steve martin's on the train and he leave they finally leave each other and they have both breathe aside relief especially steve martin is like oh finally get away he's on the train he's on his way back to chicago he's within touching distance of home and as he's recollecting all of the kind of situations and kind of laugh he's now allowing himself to laugh a little bit and be like bloody hell that was that was something his recollection then kicks into gear and he now he then realizes wait a minute something i i didn't realize and he slowly realizes what the situation is so he goes back to that same train station and that scene with john candy where he says i don't have a home I mean, it's heartbreaking it truly yeah. truly oh, is so heartbreaking. heartbreaking and like you say i don't think any comedy now that does, did this situation did this movie would be brave enough to not only do that scene that you mentioned but do that to do such a heartbreak i mean it's truly heartbreaking in amongst all of this 
all these shenanigans that have been going off for for comedy value the core of it is this amazing not amazing but i mean the way it's done is amazing in terms of the way, the way john hughes done but it's a really heartbreaking situation you just your heart kind of sinks for him when you realize oh, it's yeah. it's been there all along you just haven't it's been in plain sight it's just the way that it's edited and the way that the story has gone we don't see it the same as steve martin and we are experiencing it almost like steve martin's character you know we look at all these scenes and then our brains kind of kicking wait a minute and then it's revealed that his wife is is uh, has already passed and i think it's as you say very very brave to do that but i don't think anyone else would have got away with it back then let alone now and john hughes i think yeah that's what dis- made him so distinctive amongst so many other directors at the time and uh it's strange as well thinking about that and also the fact that there's a four-hour version of the movie out there somewhere in a vault somewhere <laughs> i think that's just that's just mad it's Zack Snyder. Uh, release the the Hughes cuts. Release the Hughes cuts. <laughs> hey, there's all of these things now. I because uh, you know I'm uh, by the time this this recording goes out, oh, I would have been allowed to say that I have already seen Justice League, the new one. And uh, yeah, there's already clamoring from fans to get the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. And then people, yeah, I'm sure there'd be a thing <laughs> saying, wait, there's a four and a half hour version of Planes, Trains, Automobiles out there somewhere. Please, someone find it. It probably doesn't. It's probably been destroyed by now. But even then, you oh, kind yeah. of think. What did that look like? Yeah, it, it's like the the reveal of John John Candy's wife. Like you, you say, like that moment when you, in turn with Steve Martin, figure it out. And this is like we we're like, oh, oh, oh no! Like it is like a real. It, it's it's a really brilliant like sleight of hand. I, I think Hughes kind of hides it very very clever. On your first watch, if you know the, the you know the the end, the twist that comes at the end, then it is like a. I don't even think actually knowing the twist that it's it's not heavy handed at all. Mm. John Candy just you know talks. He mentions his wife, but in, it's in the same way that Steve Martin talks about his family. Yeah, we know Steve Martin's family are there though because we've seen them. We just haven't seen John Candy, but they talk about them in the same tones and the same tenses that you never really question anything. And then when you get that bit at the end where it's like, oh, good God, she's been dead this whole time. It's like, yeah, I think it's a really clever, like masterful way of sort of misguiding the audience and then letting you work it all out at the same time. Mm. It's, um, yeah, it, it's quite brilliant, really. And as you say, immensely heartbreaking, immensely heartbreaking. And it's, it's wild that like that scene, you know, the I don't have a home and, you know, I'm on my own is you know what four scenes five scenes removed from them driving down the highway in an opposite direction like you know on the wrong side of the highway yeah and like you know yeah. getting crushed between two like two trolley like two trucks and stuff like it's you know it's i think hughes really does balance the wacky comedy nature of it in that scene like you see john candy as the devil like you know he's, he's yeah. dressed up as the devil as any other and there's a moment when they go like turn into skeletons and stuff because they're so scared and then yeah not 15 minutes later in the movie it's wrenching at your heartstring heartstrings it's it's a very difficult balance mm. i think like john hughes absolutely nails it and i think it's certainly helped by the fact that steve martin's so great and john candy is it's might be it's like my favorite performance he's ever done yeah i would agree with that i think it's i think um it is the best performance he ever did and i know steve martin for a fact that his favorite film of his in his whole career is this for you can kind of see why because it not only did it stretch him in terms of it gave him a different platform he played kind of the straight guy and that led into parenthood and father of the bride where he played more of you know more of a concerned dad that a lot of audiences a lot of generations love him for they love him for that part of his career rather than the early stuff um 
but I think between them, they 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 showcase what talents they actually have beyond just being funny, you know. And that moment is, I mean, there's a moment earlier in the film where he says, "I haven't been home in years," and Steve Martin says, "What seriously?" And he said, "No, because I'm on the road so much." And then you, for a second, for a split second, you think, "Oh," him, but then you start thinking about, "Oh, are him and his wife separated? Is he divorced? Is he?" this and that but then because of what is he then says hyperbole? which is yeah it's just hyperbole and then john candy says oh no it's because i'm on the road so much working and stuff and then all of a sudden your brain just goes oh fair enough. <laughs> and you don't think about yeah. it but that adds to the sleight of hand of it in the sense of he, he he tells you but doesn't tell you and i think that's that's great and i think that scene also acts as quite a cathartic moment for both of them not just steve martin being in this kind of weird bubble that he's in in terms of his work and not liking it but also not to judge people the important lesson of not judging people because you don't know what's going on in, with some, in someone's life you know they could be the most jovial person you know but they could at home their home life or their personal life could be very very different so judging the book by its cover is always is not a good thing but also i think it's a it's a cathartic moment for john candy's character in the sense that he probably wants because he's got no friends he's not been able to tell anybody this he's not been able to unload the pain that he's going in and you just get a sense of in that scene and then it goes to the end of the film which is when he goes to Steve Martin's house and they have Thanksgiving together and his family's there and he kind of feels like he's got a friend that there probably was a discussion between them about it and it probably felt like quite a load off of his mind because he wants to tell people he wants to tell people but he's got no friends (laughs) he's got no friends which is so sad and he's just got no one to kind of unload on so he's kind of it's kind of pent up which then adds to his crazier side of his character which is the annoying thing but um yeah I think for me i still you know i'm sure people will say this is kind of blasphemous but i think this is john hughes's best film i i i I love the breakfast club and i love some of the other ones that he's done you know and lots of people we all love uncle buck but uncle buck's a bit of a different film you know but um i still think this is his best film by far and that's just not that's not just me being a steve martin fan you know all that other all that other stuff i mean this this isn't uh, ironically this is probably not my favorite steve martin performance Maybe my Steve, maybe Steve Martin film, but my, not my favourite performance. So, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a strange thing. But I, I'm so glad we have this movie because of all the elements, but also just because of we got John Candy's performance in this, which, you know, he's been phenomenal in loads of other stuff and he was taken far too early. But I don't think any material has ever suited him quite like this. And yeah. he I showcases mean, his, his dramatic side as well as his comedy chops. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't intend to interrupt you there, but like it's you kind of mentioned, like it, he sells this so well. Like the, the very first thing you see of him is in that taxi cab, right? Like, mm. And it's just you know, Steve Martin opens up the door, and he's just got this look on his face. He tells you <laughs> absolutely everything you need to know about his character in that one facial expression. Yeah, it is yeah, absolutely superb. Um, I I almost would agree with you that it's um John Hughes's best movie. Like I would, I think I would need to go back and rewatch. Like for the reason why I I'm kind of like quick to come to the defense of this is because I think there's a lot of stuff within Hughes's back catalog that unfortunately now looking through uh, modern day eyes becomes quite problematic. Mm. Like I adore The Breakfast Club, I really do, but it's hard to look at that movie now with a very 2021 perspective and be like, ah, well, you know, there are a lot of problems with stuff here. Perfectly fine when they, you know, not perfectly fine when they did it in the eighties, but it was almost just, it, it was quote of a time, you know, that, that sort of thing. And there's problems with that. I think there's also problems with that within Pretty in Pink. Like we all love Ducky uh, and everything, but like the way that he talks to other women in that movie, mm, mm. it kind of makes like, he is not a great human being either. He's not a great yeah. character either. But Planes has actually got this, like it, it's, I always always have this pang of worry whenever I go back to watch a movie, like a comedy movie from 
the 80s or the 90s because there's always going to be that moment where I'm like ah has this got one of those has this got a, a scene that's like that where you're like mm. oh it's actually it's really mean to to uh to gay or like, to gay people or to like the trans community or anything like that and this doesn't in fact actually the one joke that it has you know that those aren't pillows thing is not you know it, it is gay panic but the jokes on them the joke is like that they are so sort of like hyper masculine about this and they jump up to be like oh well, well did you see the football game yeah yeah, was, was, yeah. you know and this is like it is like it's it quickly jumped to be like, oh, no, no, I'm a man. So the, the, the punchline is them. The punchline isn't that, oh, look, you know, a gay thing happened. The punchline yeah. is, oh, no, they overreacted to this thing that is currently happening. And yeah, so I'm, I'm almost like to look at this and be like, actually, I think this might be, aside from just that, but like overall, when you took, you look at the writing, the direction, the and the performances from everyone involved, yeah, it probably is John Hughes' best movie. Yeah, I that's... Yeah, I, that's what I. That's my uh, my two cents, as it were. I think it is his best movie. I think every he's so he's such a good writer and such a. I've realised and go you know as reading about films as as we do and everybody else that we know loves films does that he wrote this over like a weekend. His first draft was over a weekend. And you think Nuts. what all? Of, I mean, it obviously went through subsequent drafts over the time. But yeah, I remember in the documentary, if you watch it on the Blu-ray or on the, I don't know if it's on the DVD. I think it's on the Blu-ray in the UK, but. He says, oh, yeah, we'll read it over a weekend, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you're like, excuse me? You wrote this in three <laughs> days. The first draft that was, you know, 300 pages or whatever it's stupidly it was, you know, 250, 300 pages in three days. <laughs> in three days. Yes, that's an insane um, time. And, you know, most of the film as it is would have been in that script. Okay, or subsequent drafts and changing a few things here and there, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's... In a strange way, maybe that was the best thing for him to write this film, to write it in such a way that he then goes, right, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to, and then it's kind of done, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I still maintain this is his, fun, not only his funniest film, but I think his most emotional, his richest, his um, most touching. And, you know, he's someone that touches on so many themes about, you know, what what different parts of your, the human experience is, whether it's teenagers and then going into adulthood and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I, can't think of any other apart from yeah there's others that i do i do love some of his movies don't get me wrong, but yeah there are issues with some of them not massive mm -hmm. issues but then some people would say yes they are massive issues and that would be exactly yeah that would be a problem problematic and as you say it's over time you know so in the context of history it, it obviously everything gets um exacerbated shall we say not to that doesn't mean to demean them or to um no, put down their power all that kind of stuff but yeah, I think playing show. Also, I think it's his most earnest and most, in a way, most human in the sense that it, every there's yeah. no, there's no, you know, you get those movies. We talk about horror movies probably more than anything else, or some movies. Like I watched The Little Things the other day, and there's a scene at the beginning where something happens, blah blah, blah and you just go, no person would make that decision. <laughs> no person in their right mind would make the decision that that person on screen has just made. So come straight away, I'm out of the, you know, my brain is out of the movie. I'm questioning everything that you're going to do in this movie now, because that's just not, if you were put in this situation, most of the stuff that happens, you would pr probably happen the way it transpires and you would react the same way. There's no like, there's no trick to it. There's no like gimmick to it. It's just, yes, this is how people are. And you can, you can go down to the airport, you know, when it's safe to do so or before COVID or whatever, and probably look at lots of people and go, yeah, they're, my, they're having a plane strange day. Definitely having a plane strange day. Definitely. Yeah. Everything's going wrong for them today. <laughs> like, and everything is set up so nicely that like, yeah, you don't have that moment where you're like, why are these two still hanging out? Cause clearly mm. Steve Martin doesn't like it, but Steve Martin is, is in a position where like, 
he has to go down this path you know like the the, the plane gets uh, grounded there's no like you know there's nowhere else to go he's trying to make phone calls places john candy approaches like oh i've got a place you know we can go over there like every uh, the one time he actually does get to uh, escape from him if you will now there's a really like heartbreaking moment where he's like you know what i think when you and i work together and like john candy's like face like almost lights up to be like uh, a friend he's like we're bad like we're, we're just yeah, terrible yeah. for each other and it's like oh this is heart crushing stuff and it actually goes much worse for Steve Martin going off, you know, on his own. And so like when he then gets into this mode where it's like, I am now at my my rock bottom, there's John Candy again to be like, oh, look, our paths have crossed again. Yeah. Every time that they are together, like the, the movie is is designed so brilliantly and sort of like pieced together so wonderfully that you never question why Steve Martin is still like on the, you know, on this journey with him when they he clearly is not getting on with him. And also in, in that you've got this, desire and want to get home to be with your family at thanksgiving which is what this is all about and yeah I, I think it's a really smart way to kind of piece this all together and make it feel for a movie again as i said that has you know two skeletons in it when they get so scared that they turn into <laughs> literally skeletons that it, it still feels so real and, mm. and as you say earnest and that that is it's one of the, the beautiful things about this movie is its earnestness and, and like just how loving it is and how caring it is towards its characters yeah, I do love the symbiotic look of the fact that when Steve Martin gets away from him and has to walk across the runway and then does the famous uh I won't swear on this, but the F F F U scene to the to the to the <laughs> car rental people, the sim the symbolic nature of him being literally in the gutter outside the airport, yeah. in the gutter on the street, when John Candy comes in to almost save him. You know, it's kind of a strange yeah flip over he's on the floor he's just been completely and then he's picked up by the nuts as well you know so he's literally in the gutter and being being what's the phrase i can't think of being held by the short and curlies or something like that like literally mm -hmm. like you say bottom of the barrel he has no and he's just trying to get home and it's john candy who saves the day in some <laughs> yeah. respects um but i think it's i think it's um it's testament to the film that it has still punctured popular culture i mean there's so many kind of riffs on the film i mean I'm such a huge fan of Family Guy and I know that um, it's a movie I know that Seth MacFarlane I think likes because they've spoofed it a few times in terms of the dev there's a scene where Brian and Stewie go on one of their crazy road to etc etc places and part of it is they go down a hill in a car and they're all screaming and it cuts to the devil scene mm. where Stewie's in the devil outfit and he's like ha 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 and Brian's like Ooh. and then I think the, I don't know if the skeleton happens and stuff like that and then there's a thing where they're in a train station and Lois is angry at Peter and she lays into him. And then Peter comes back with the John Candy speech of go ahead and help mm -hmm. me, you know, that scene. And there's yeah. so many other places. So the fact that it's still 34 years later, 35 years next year, yeah. 35 years, which wow. is insane, that it's still a still penetrates the popular culture in such a way. B that so many people still love John Candy, John Hughes, Steve Martin, and it's one of those films where they'll be like, "Of course, I've seen that movie." Whereas that would then lead up, you said before, that would then lead the people going to see Uncle Buck or going to see some Steve Martin films or going maybe going to see Pretty in Pink or some of the other movies that John John Hughes has made. But but yeah, I think all this time later, there's a reason why we still talk about it and people still watch it on Thanksgiving. And those are the move; those are the really enduring movies. If you can tie them into a day, you know, whether it's Thanksgiving or everyone watching Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day, you know, there's all, or there's a birthday or a day every year where there's a symbol, symbolic film that you watch and Planes, Trains is, yeah. is always going to be there for a lot of people. Although strangely, the Blu-ray that I bought that's here, on the cover, they're all 
made it's made like into like a you know like sometimes they do like covers for different seasons it's got a yeah. it's got like christmas stuff on the front i was about to say is there like a christmas edition of this where they're oh, just like well, hey. we'll just put a santa hat on we'll just put a santa hat on them in photoshop yeah and yeah they christmas put loads of snow around them and i think that's that's it's set at thanksgiving which is weeks before christmas that's almost as bad as the debate about Die Hard, whereas now if you buy the Die Hard on the slipcase, it's the same slipcase, except it's got little bits of snow flaking down and Bruce Willis has got a Santa hat on. <laughs> that's not how that movie, someone's going to watch that movie and think it's something else and they're, they're going to be disappointed. But that's, isn't, yeah. that, isn't that strange that it's, it's people it's don't even, so it's weird. Thanksgiving. It's like even the first sequence, it says two days before Thanksgiving, the first <laughs> moment yeah. of the movie. So I don't know. One of my favorite ones of those, I did an interview with uh, John Cena to promote Ferdinand. Um, okay yeah where he plays the, the the bull and like it is that is a movie that is very much it is summer it is sunshine it is this and it's that but because it was released at christmas here in the uk <laughs> they put loads of santa hats on ferdinand and like all the marketing and stuff to be like hey kids christmas is here go and see the new animated movie i'm like there is nothing to do with christmas in this film outside of your photoshopping of a santa hat onto yeah. this bull should we do that for Lord of the Rings as well? That was released all at Christmas time <laughs> or King Kong. Every film that's released at Christmas, there'll be a slipcase version with said character in a Santa hat. Yeah. Why? There'll be a Batman Returns one one day when they were like the Shane Black collection where they'll all have slipcases. Oh, so like they'll have Santa hats yeah. <laughs> Batman with a Santa hat on because Batman Returns is set at Christmas. My goodness me. Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, before we were, we've talked about for a long time. Uh, your final thought, uh, Luke. Now, this is, do you, this is, uh, I mean, it, it is a stone we talk about classics on this podcast a lot but there's none greater than there's very few this this takes its place should i say alongside very few proper comedy masterpieces for various different reasons comedy masterpiece can mean lots of different things but this is this is one of them isn't it i I completely agree with you like when i I sat down to watch it this morning i rented it on amazon prime because i don't own it on on dvd or anything so i'd rent it on amazon prime and i I sat down to watch it and in my head i was always like okay and then you know i'll I'll lock this film on on uh letterboxd i think it's probably you know if memory serves four stars on letterboxd and then that'll be you know then I'll, i'll go and record with scott later and when the film finished, I was like, the hell was I thinking? Four stars. Come on, this is like an absolute easily five stars on Letterboxd. Um, and, and that's kind of it's so I suppose like my final thoughts on this is that like if you haven't watched Planes in Years, which there may be people listening to this who haven't, who haven't like you know watched it in a long, long, long time, go out of your way to like find it again because it is something that like on a rewatch, it really will surprise you just how great it is and just how like yeah wonderful it is and I'm, I'm now really looking forward to watching it again come thanksgiving this year you know my wife and i can sit down because i don't think my wife's ever seen it so i'm actually really looking forward to like showing it to her for the first time and yeah so i i i, I think it's tremendous john candy is incredibly great in it steve martin is a wonderful straight man and it's John Hughes, uh, probably John Hughes' best, uh, I think. It is, it is. I think it's a tremendous film. Yeah, I was just while you were talking, my, my brain was just remembering the, you know, the song they sing in the car, but they, there's like the cars like burnt to a crisp, and they're like they've got no radio, yeah, yeah. so they have to sing to each other. It's such a nice moment because it's it's a it's a it's a portion where they're almost becoming. It's a moment where they're becoming friendlier, not friends per se, because there's still a lot more after that, but. But they kind of tolerate that night together, don't they? Where they start to like, okay, yeah. let's, we need to just tolerate each other, get through it, 
and then say our goodbyes but there's a lot more to it after that but i just remembered them singing together so that's when they get stopped by the policeman anyway um yeah i i this is this is my favorite comedy film of all time i don't think there's anything there's a lot of things that are close don't get me wrong but um what it means to me is a lot probably goes a long way to saying how much i love it you know because when i saw it and my love of steve martin and everything else but there's no i can't find a fault with this from and if people out there can find faults with it then fine you know let me let me hear them but it's so beautifully measured in every way in terms of its comedy in terms of its drama because there is a lot of drama in this movie you know mm-hmm. uh, combustible drama but also real human drama but uh yeah i i've no i've not seen anything that's some have come close to being as good and also you know with comedy like i say there's so many different variants you know there's no way you could put playing strains up against dumb and dumber or anchorman or you know they're all very very different movies you can love all of them you know but plain strains is a richer movie it deserves to be up in the comedies with you know like the apartment all those kind of comedies where there's a you know the relationship is very different to what it is in, mm-hmm. in other comedy movies you know it's not about the laughs all the time it's about a really sincere earnest film which is what we've been talking about but i i watch it all the time and it's one of my comfort films as well you know when you've had a bad day you just want something oh, to yeah, put on yeah. you just stick it on and uh, and your day will be slightly better <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there we go the titular those aren't pillows aka planes and automobiles if you haven't seen it go and find it uh on amazon prime if you prefer that or of course support physical media and find it on dvd or blu-ray uh luke thank you so so much for joining me on this bumper edition i think this is a bumper edition so uh thank you so much for joining us where are uh, you everywhere on twitter what's the main place people can find you on twitter uh, you can find me uh, at this is Luke Owen uh, on the old Twitter machine. Um, I'm also at under console pod. I've got a podcast that reviews every episode of Games Master, the classic 90s video game challenge show. Um, we're currently we're about we're just almost finishing series three of it. We've nearly reached the halfway mark. Uh, so yeah, so find us. It's under consultation, or just search for Games Master in like podcast feeds and stuff, and you'll find it. But uh, yeah, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to to be on this show. Um, uh, you know, you and I used to do a lot of podcasts together, and uh, it, it's it, it's almost stands to reason that this ends up being the bumper edition because I think once you and I just hit the record button and just start <laughs> chatting, it's like <laughs> after a while you just sort of forget that's what we're what we're doing. What we're, we're doing? Yeah, and- we're just chatting. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the old phone call from you know the, the, <laughs> when we were kids where you phone your mate and blah blah it's you for a week this is the equivalent now uh <laughs> yes well of course podcast um uh games consoles memory serves you wrote a book about video game movies maybe back in the I, day. I, I, did, I did once yeah yeah once upon a time i did write a book about video game movies uh, yeah it's, it's still available on amazon lights camera game over if you ever if you've ever thought to yourself why is street fighter really weird and nothing like the game well i wrote a book about it once so you can sort of find out and i interviewed all the people that made them uh so yeah I'm, I'm still very proud of that book and, and how it came out you might get some bumper sales now given mortal kombat is about to come out well, I'm hoping so. Like I, you know, there was some interest in it after the the Sonic movie came out last year. And Sonic, because yeah. there's a chapter there's a chapter in the book about the Sonic movie that nearly came out in the 90s. Um, it's one of the few. In fact, I think to this day, it's one the only place that's ever really got like a you know a breakdown of the script and stuff that was written for it, or the treatment, the the 40 page treatment that was written for it. Um, so yeah, it's like it, it, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful time, a wonderful like year of my life of writing and researching and interviewing some people that I absolutely admire. Paul W. Sanderson wrote the foreword for it as well. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a grand old time, uh, and it, it's a, not a bad book either if you fancy it. It's not. It's not. I remember reading the first chapter very, very early. And that was very exciting. Oh, yeah. Back yeah, in the yeah. day. That was good. That was good. Was it Street you know, Fighter? You have, a, you have 
um super mario brothers of the first super one, mario brothers I was, yeah because I, I was sending you the chapters as i wrote them um, yeah because you have a shout out in the book uh, of, uh, of the i do i remember yeah. Into, yeah yeah helped and supported me along the way um so yeah so but yeah so if you go search for that on amazon um go and give me a buy because not not many people bought it when it came out so i got my, my first check and it was not a huge amount of money and then every check i've had after that has been negative so oh <laughs> wow come on people oh yeah don't yeah, don't, don't let Luke pay the people. establishment. <laughs> Luke's paying the there's man no money for his own books. <laughs> there's no, there's no money in books anymore, unfortunately. Unless you can oh. get a really good deal out of Unless it. Unless you get a really good deal. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. But go find it. It's a great book. It's a great book. Just Thank not because, not just because I'm in it. I'm not in it, but it's just my name's in it. You know, whatever. Uh, yes, of course. And Luke is on Wrestle Talk TV. I'm sure if you watch a bit of wrestling, you probably know Luke because he's in the big circles with old Wrestle Talk. Uh, but anyway, yes. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very and, much. Uh, yes, that is the latest episode of Those Aren't Pillows. You can find us uh, on Twitter at PillowsPod. And you can find me at Scott Writes Film. On our Twitter page is also our link tree where you can find all the platforms that the podcast is on, Google, Apple, uh, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. We will be back with another episode next week. Fingers crossed. Uh, we're getting through a few of them now. So uh, there's plenty more cool episodes still to come. Thank you as ever for listening. And we will speak to you and see you on the next show. Take care and goodbye. Goodbye.